Welcome to the Food and Body Acceptance Podcast Series. This series is brought to you by third-year nutrition students at the University of Saskatchewan, Aisha Khan, Brooke Webster, Chelsea Lucier, and Jaden Sushot. We are partnered with the USASC Student Wellness Centre as part of Eating Disorder Awareness Week, and our goal is to advocate for greater awareness and education about eating disorders and to promote food and body acceptance. We would like to acknowledge that this podcast was recorded on Treaty 6 territory and the homeland of the Métis. We pay our respects to the First Nations and Métis ancestors of this place and reaffirm our relationship with one another. Please be aware that the topics of this episode center around eating disorders and may be triggering to some individuals. In addition, this episode contains the discussion of calories from 2 minutes and 49 seconds to 3 minutes and 3 seconds, and from 11 minutes and 52 seconds to 12 minutes and 8 seconds. Hi everyone, and welcome to today's episode. My name is Brooke. And my name is Jaden. We'll be your hosts today. In this episode, we'll be talking to Juliana Sparks, a fourth-year kinesiology student at the University of Saskatchewan. We'll be discussing Juliana's personal experience with an eating disorder. Thank you so much for joining us today, Juliana. Thank you all for having me. Can you begin by telling us more about yourself and why you decided to speak with us today? Yeah, so I have been diagnosed with obsessive compulsive disorder and have experienced an eating disorder because of my OCD. So in the past, I kind of saw my mental illness as something that was debilitating, something that would hold me back from achieving the dreams I set out for myself as a young adult. And surviving through the worst times that came along with my mental illness, I now believe that my diagnosis does not define me and can be a really positive aspect of my identity, helping me achieve all those dreams that I set for myself. I have also found a community of super loving, supporting people through the hardest times and feel as though the support network is one of the main reasons I look at my OCD in a more positive light. Even though I have many days where I still struggle, I want to be able to be there for others who are going through the similar circumstances that I had gone through. That sounds great. We're really excited to hear what you have to tell the viewers today and for people to learn more about you. So can you tell us how your experience with an eating disorder started? Yeah, so I had a pretty unorthodox start with my eating disorder because it did start out as OCD. Um, So my actual experience with eating disorder started when I was 14. And I kind of made this conscious decision to start taking better care of my health. Um, I was an athlete, I was playing high level sports. So being healthy was really important to me. And I just thought that it was kind of time to take that step. Before the age of 14, I kind of already knew that I was a huge perfectionist. And I needed everything in my life to be perfect and just the way that I planned it to be. I apply this perfectionistic idealism to my choice to become healthier, deciding that anything and everything that was unhealthy would never enter my body. I don't really know when the healthy eating spiraled into a session over calorie counting, but it was kind of at this time that the perfectionism turned into OCD. Um, I remember fixating on the number of calories that I took in a day and insisting that I never went over 900 calories. And I knew to my heart that this amount of calories was incredibly unsustainable, especially since I was playing two sports competitively. As the days went on, I remember feeling super groggy, emotionally drained, extremely fatigued, and honestly kind of depressed. The change happened so gradually that I told myself that this was always how I felt, you know, that every teenager feels like this at some point or another. And it wasn't until my mom approached me about how much weight I was losing that that it really hit me that I had a serious problem. She'd always encourage me to do weekly weigh-ins, which honestly wasn't the best thing looking back, Um, but at least I knew where I was at. 
and these weigh-ins seemed to scare me more than actually help me. Finally, my physical state got to an extremely low point where my mom just decided that I needed to see a doctor. And in a matter of a day, I was actually taken to my family physician, taken to the emergency room, sent to a bed in acute pediatrics, and checked in for what would actually turn out to be a six-week stay in the hospital. The first day, my blood pressure was, I think, 50 over 30, and my heart rate was around 32 beats per minute. And the doctors told me that vitals like mine have only ever been seen in severe trauma patients struggling to stay alive or coma patients. And it was, this was actually the moment that I really realized how severe of a state I was in and how much I needed lots of help. Um, I had fought the idea of coming to the hospital so hard since my mom first proposed it and would continue to fight even while I was there in the coming weeks or on the really hard days. Although from the moment they took my vitals, I knew I really needed to be there. I spent the first few weeks in acute pediatrics on bed rest while doctors and nurses filled in to take my vitals. I would usually stand for my vitals, but I remember there was this one day, I will, I will literally never forget this day, in the first week that I felt my peripherals go black and began sweating and I knew I needed to sit down or else I would pass out. And I've never passed out before, so this was kind of one of those moments where I was standing up getting my vitals taken and I was like, oh my gosh, this is really serious. The doctors told me that almost passing out was actually a good thing. Um, my body was starting to realize that I was in a state of severe distress. I just needed to get some rest. And after my vitals had stabilized, I was sent to the Dubai Center and stayed there for just over a month. My time there had a lot of ups and downs, and I believe that it helped me more become more in tune with myself and my body and taught me to accept any and all help that is being offered to me. This is all the start of my journey with eating disorder because to me, eating disorder doesn't just stop the second you get out of treatment. It's always a lifelong battle with yourself, your body, your loved ones, food, and often requires constant maintenance throughout the years. Thank you for sharing that, Juliana. I, I really enjoyed the part where you say it's a lifelong battle with yourself. And I think that's a really important message that you're giving viewers because resilience is so important. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, of course. Yeah, thanks again, Juliana, for sharing your story. And like Brooke mentioned, you stated how living with an eating disorder is a lifelong battle. Knowing this now, what can you look back on as some of your biggest challenges that you faced during your recovery? Um, for sure, the biggest challenge I faced um, recovering from my eating disorder was just accepting help. I was and continue to be someone who thinks that she can do everything on her own. And this isn't always necessarily a bad personality trait to have until it puts you into a place where you feel so isolated that the whole world is caving in on you. Um, during my worst times, I pushed everybody in my life away because it felt as though I was more of a burden to them than they deserved. My mom would never let go. She's the most amazing person. And she's the biggest reason that I am still alive today. My family was super amazing in every sense of the word as well. But the experience was new for them too. So sometimes they would just say the wrong things or do the wrong things, which would cause me to want to push them away even further. When I got to the hospital, I didn't want to speak to anyone or get help from anyone. I was super adamant about this until I actually began forming really strong bonds with my doctors, nurses, and the rest of the staff. Trust, respect, and honestly, love is so important in ED recovery. I felt so much love and genuine care for my team of professionals, and it made me feel like even though they were just doing their job, they were rooting for me since the day I walked into that hospital. It took finding the right people for me to let them in and accept that help that I so desperately needed. One thing I learned from all this, though, is that it is more of a burden on the people we love to continue engaging in self-harming behaviors. My mom tells me how hurt she was when I tried to push her away and how much better she felt when I finally allowed her in and allowed her to help. 
it's not a burden on our loved ones to accept help, but it's a burden to watch for them to watch us destroy ourselves. Juliana, in terms of services and assistance available, what do you think is lacking or what would you like to see more of? Yeah, this is one of my favorite questions to talk about. Um, I think Saskatoon is lacking in so many areas in terms of services and assistance, specifically available to individuals with an eating disorder. They're doing great in a lot of different areas regarding mental health, but I think there's a lot that needs to be said about our eating disorder services. Uh, so when I was sent to the Dubay Center, I remember seeing a boy at the first day. Um, I was there who was walking down the halls, screaming these rap songs and swearing at the top of his lungs. And it honestly terrified me. Like I felt as though I was being sent to a place where I would get killed, not get better. It's funny, uh, I laugh at this now because this boy became an extremely good friend of mine while I was at the Dubay Center and taught me a lot about how internal battles can often shape external actions. Um, so regardless, this experience put me back at least a week in my ED recovery since I never wanted to leave my room. I was crying constantly and I became depressed knowing this place was my home until the doctors or my parents told me otherwise. I think that Saskatoon could really use a mental health facility that is a little bit more segregated, joining people who are fighting the same battles together to learn from and be inspired by. Um, Saskatoon currently joins people who are struggling with all mental illnesses. Um, I'm not sure if you guys are super familiar with the Dubay Center um, layout, um, which can actually really be jarring to young people trying to heal. My personal team was super amazing, but it took me countless tries to find the people who fit best. I found that many counselors, doctors, and nurses didn't really seem to care about me or my personal story. And with some people, this type of cold removed help did not work for me. And I needed to find the gems that put genuine interest into my case. This again, put me back months in my ED recovery. And I feel as though if we had a better team um, to patient matching system, we could more efficiently help people heal. Yeah, absolutely, Juliana. It must have been so relieving to finally find your personal care team and to finally start seeing some positive changes. It was for sure. Like I know the day that I found my counselor that really fit for me was honestly the best day of my recovery. I felt so at home and so in a place ready to heal. What do you think is one of the biggest barriers to seeking help for an eating disorder? And do you have any thoughts that you could share with our listeners on how we could maybe help to change this? Yeah, um, I think the stigma surrounding mental illness has decreased so much since the days of, you know, Bell Let's Talk, all of these campaigns that are working to destigmatize it. But I do still think that there's a huge stigma that ex exists around eating disorders. Um, despite this movement towards destigmatizing mental health, I think some certain illnesses are seen in a better light than others. Um, and I find these are the most more common ones that we hear about on a daily basis, like depression and anxiety. Um, that are more normalized in today's society. But when I tell people that I suffer from OCD and an eating disorder, I often get really odd looks and people not really knowing how to respond. I think if we're going to destigmatize mental illness, we need to destigmatize all the mental illnesses, not just the ones that are easiest to destigmatize. I believe you all are working to destigmatize eating disorders just by creating this podcast, honestly. Allowing people to hear stories of those who have suffered might let people see that the vast majority of us have experienced disordered eating in one sense of the word or another. Um, maybe some people will feel more inclined to seek out help after hearing a story of how it helped another person who went through the same thing. I just think we need to start having a conversation around disordered eating and eating disorders that might make the world of change in itself. As you know, the title of our podcast series is Food and Body Acceptance. What does food acceptance mean to you, Juliana? 
up with this definition for years. Um, I know when I was younger, I definitely thought it meant one thing. And now getting older, I'm finding that that definition is changing for me. So right now, food acceptance to me means just realizing that food is not inherently unhealthy or bad for you in itself. All food has a place in time and balance is the biggest key in maintaining a healthy diet. Food acceptance means not restricting anything because it doesn't fit my calorie goal for the day. To take this even further, to me, food acceptance means not even having a calorie goal for the day because I don't feel the need to track calories. I want to get to a place in my life where I no longer worry about the macros in a certain meal or the calories that I am ingesting. I want to feel incredibly in tune with my body, that I know what food makes me feel good and nourish and what foods do the opposite. Food acceptance to me means knowing what I need to eat to live my best life what food makes my tongue tingle and my belly jump for joy, and what foods make me feel at home. Food acceptance means seeing food for all that it is and letting it not only nourish our bodies, but our souls as well. I love how you mentioned how important it is to acknowledge that food is such a vital part of our life, like not only just for nourishment, but yeah, for our souls and our overall well-being. Yeah. What advice would you give someone to help them reach this food acceptance? Um, speaking to other people with eating disorders, I don't think there is one prescribed way for people to reach food acceptance. Each journey is unique and beautiful in its own way. In my personal experience, though, I found food exposure to be the most useful way to inch closer to food acceptance. Um, this actually was advice given to me by my nutritionist. Um, she just told me, you know, incorporate a little bit of ice cream on a hot day or a fresh cookie when your mom bakes them straight out of the oven or honestly any feel-good food while consciously trying to enjoy the experience instead of feeling anxiety from the experience. This made me feel and understand that indulging in food every now and then will not be the end of the world. Whatever way works for you and makes eating higher calorie or higher fat or whatever type of food less scary is valid and useful to your journey to becoming more accepting of food. What is one thing you would like listeners that are struggling with disordered eating to know? One thing I would like listeners who are struggling with disordered eating to know is that you are never alone. Um, there's a huge community of individuals who have gone through something similar to what you're going through now and have came out on the other side. Not every journey is the same and we will never be able to utterly and completely understand one another, but we can support, care for, and encourage one another to get better. I think in my, my personal journey, I had this mantra, you know, that no one understands me, no one knows what I'm going through, but there are so many people out there who can come super close to understanding you and understanding what you're going through. Um, I think talking to each other is a huge step. You'll find those that who want to help you, but do not know what it's like to struggle with a deceiving order as well. And they might say the wrong things or do the wrong things, but it's always important to remember that these actions are out of a place of love. Accept help, even if it might be hard to do so, and allow people to listen to what is tearing you apart inside. Finally, disordered eating can be scary, hands down. It can make you feel super alone, like you have no control over your life and like you will never get better. In my personal experience, I have felt both of these emotions. I have journals to show of them. Um, if I would have let these emotions get the better of me, I wouldn't be sitting here today talking to you. On days where these thoughts rage in your mind, remember that you're not alone and there are so many people who love you and care for you and just want to see you get better. Reach out to those you love instead of pushing them away. Accept that help that is available in your city or at your school or whatever it is. Most importantly, find little ways to love yourself through your ED recovery journey until you realize that ED is not serving any purpose in your life anymore. Um, my ED became part of my identity, and I think until I dissociated from that identity, I definitely wouldn't have been able to get better. 
people with ed are honestly some of the strongest strongest people i have ever met and that strength is going to be what guides you towards your own recovery in the future do you have a final takeaway message that you'd like to leave our listeners with today i do yeah um share your stories i think all of our stories are incredibly beautiful as sad and tragic of a time they might have been in our lives they're really important to finding that acceptance with what you went through with your eating disorder you know with your food insecurities or whatever it may be um and other people can can benefit from you sharing your story so get that courage get your story out there and just don't let your eating disorder define you anymore start defining it i love that juliana thank you again so much for sharing your story like you said it takes a lot of courage to be able to come on and share your story like that yeah, so I think it does take a lot of courage to share your story, but the more stories that are out there, the more we can begin learning from each other and helping each other heal. Um, so I think it's a huge step in destigmatizing um, disordered eating for sure and other mental illnesses as well. Yeah, Juliana, I was I was thinking about that. I've been thinking about what you said about destigmatization, and I truly believe that it can start with those who are struggling because you have the opportunity to come and do things like this where you can tell people your story and then, you know, they're getting the real truth. And those individuals who are struggling, if they use their voice, it can help end the stigma. Absolutely. Yeah. So that concludes today's episode. Thanks again for joining us today, Juliana. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Um, you guys are doing amazing work and it's nice to see so many passionate people out there trying to destigmatize mental illness. So thanks for what you guys are doing. Thank you so much for that, Juliana. It means a lot. Yes, thank you very much for joining us. So for more information on the topic of today's episode, check out our episode description. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. And keep an eye out on our social media for the next episode, which will be released on February 5th. Have a great week, everyone.